loving Father, thank you for sending your fair son to this wicked world to take on flesh and allow himself to be nailed to the cross willingly for our transgressions that we could be called the sons of God and the children of God. Thank you for this most fairest Savior, ruler of all nations. And Father, may we continue to give you thanks and praise for your great gift. And now as we come to your word, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts again to give us understanding. Father, we do think of these needs, uh, these prayer requests that were shared. We think of this Kim, Lord, and, uh, and Krista, Oh, Father, as Kim goes through chemo, and, and then Krista, uh, Krista has to deal with the, uh, the reconstructive surgery. Lord, we just pray that you would, you would intervene, Father. Give the doctors wisdom, guide their hands, and we pray that you would grant healing. And, uh, Father, that you would grant them peace as they wait upon you. And now, Lord... We thank you for what you will teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you will take your Bibles with me now, let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. And we're just going to finish up our series on the seven churches of Revelation. And we're in chapter 3. The last church that Jesus sends a letter to through the Apostle John is the church of Laodicea. And we will be looking at verse 14 through 22, the end of the chapter. But here's the final church. And we find a church here that I think is very descriptive of, I don't know if there's, I guess of all the churches that we've looked at, this one seems to be the one that, I don't know, has America stamped on it uh, and, and seems to fit our culture. And you'll see, see as we go along. Um, just a little background. Laodicea was a Roman province and <clears throat> uh, in the Roman province of Asia, actually, uh, which is modern-day Turkey. And, uh, and so it was, it was an important, it was located at a major trade route. So there was a lot of commerce going on in this particular city. And we'll learn more about that along the way here. But we see that uh, the Lord Jesus is going to speak again to this new church. Look at verse 14 with me. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Right. Now, again, that word angel means messenger. So it could refer to a literal angel that's watching over that church. But I tend to think with some other good Bible teachers that uh, see it this way, that, that it's speaking of the leadership of the church, the, pa- the pastor uh, there, that he would, the letter would go to him and he would read it to the church. But to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write this. The amen, the faithful, and true witness, the beginning of 
the creation of God, says this. Now, as you recall, every letter that Jesus wrote, he starts by by describing his glory and his character, his divine glory and who he is as the Son of God. And it's beautiful here, the way he describes himself, the titles he gives himself, the titles. Look at what they are. First one there, he says, the amen. Jesus is taking the title of amen. Now that sounds kind of unusual for Jesus to use the word, I am the amen. (laughs) And... uh, and, we, you know, initially we would think, well, I'm not sure exactly what that means. And, of course, uh, this, is, uh, this is transliterated from the Hebrew, amen, but it, we usually use it at the end of our prayers. And when we use it, when we use it, uh, we, we basically, the, the meaning in the English, in our English word is, let it be so. Let it be so. So in other words, when we say amen, we're saying, Lord, let your will be done. Let it be so. But here, <clears throat> uh, Jesus describes it. Uh, that let it be so speaks of truth. Let truth be so. And again, this uh, wherever in English, you see Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you, the word in the Hebrew there is amen. So actually, Jesus would start many times by using the word amen. Amen, amen, I say unto you. Truly, truly, I say unto you. And of course, that word truly is truth. Here's the truth. And Jesus, again, He's using a different word, amen, but basically he's saying, I am the truth. I am the truth. But he's saying it through the word, amen. His second title he gives himself, the faithful and true witness. The faithful and true witness. And and, and he, Jesus Christ, has proven to be faithful and a true, again, a true witness. Witness to who God is, God the Father, when he came to earth. But he's, he, he here is presenting himself as the faithful one and the true witness. Again, what he has to say, he is truth, and therefore he is a witness to, the, to, to truth. And, and so whatever he says, we have to take to heart. And so he wants the church to remember who he is. I am the truth. I am the faithful one and the true witness. The next title he gives himself, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, isn't that an interesting title? Being calling himself saying, I am the beginning of the creation of God. And I say this. Where, where does this, does this ring a bell when you hear him give him the, himself this title? What comes, any, any certain scripture come to your mind when you, 
you uh, see him use the word the beginning of creation. Turn to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John, that's probably what some of you were thinking. But if you go, let's go over to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And here it's presented by John the Apostle. The Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 1. Here it is. In the what? Beginning was the word. And again, the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, so we know this to be speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the word, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he he has always been called the word, the word of God. And how do we know it's, this is referring to Jesus Christ? Well, it's the next few verses that where suddenly, instead of the, using the term word, uh, John refers to him as he. So therefore, we know this is speaking about Jesus. Look at verse 2. He, excuse me, he was in the beginning with God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, by Jesus. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. There it is. John makes it clear here exactly what Jesus is telling the church at Laodicea. That I was from the beginning. I was before the beginning. And that the creation of the world, I was there. And so John is saying that, that, that he is the one who came uh, and, and, and the God the Father gave him the authority to create the universe, all the universe and this world and you and I. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Let's slide over to Colossians together, if you would. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And this, this again, is a tremendous passage uh, that, that gives us the characteristics of who Christ is. Verse 15. And he, speaking of Jesus, and he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and that includes, by the way, all the angels. All things have been created by him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What a tremendous statement to describe our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God, he's the image of God, but he is truly God, and in in him all things were created. And so that's why Jesus then is 
is mentioning this in his letter to the Laodiceans, okay, in describing himself. So if you go back now to Revelation 3, here Jesus, again, gives the final uh, characteristics, his attributes. He is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. And now we come to the criticism Jesus has for this church. Verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. Another way of saying is I wish you were cold or hot. Verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What a statement. He calls them a lukewarm church. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but when I drink something, my, what I'm drinking has to be very cold or very hot. In fact, um, I'll tell you a little secret that when I stop by a McDonald's for a coffee sometime in the morning, I might be driving by and stopping again. Um, I ask, uh, could you make a fresh pot of coffee for me? And they do it. They have to do it. But why do I ask for a hot cup, because, a fresh pot? Because the coffee comes out piping hot the moment they make a fresh pot, and I get it as hot as they can possibly make it. I've gone through McDonald's, got my coffee, and it's been coffee that's been sitting for a half hour, an hour on, in the pot, you know, sitting, and it's got that little warmer under it. And by the time I get it, it's lukewarm. How many love lukewarm coffee? Well, some of you might. I know some of you may. No, now, I know some of you like iced coffee. That I can't take. But, but here, here's the point. What's amazing about this? Um, you know, we either like very hot or very cold drinks. But that lukewarm stuff. Jesus is saying, church. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're you're that lukewarm and. It's, it's interesting how this ties into the history of the city of Laodicea. Okay, and this is incredible to understand. This really helps, helps us gain insight into what Jesus is trying to say. Now, Laodicea was about five miles away from its sister city called Heropolis. Okay, now Heropolis... <coughs> Excuse me. Heropolis was famous for their hot springs. Has anyone ever in your travels ever gone to a place that had hot springs? Anyone at all? I remember we went to Idaho on one of our tours, and some of our relatives who live out there took us to this, these famous hot springs in Idaho and uh, Pocatello, Idaho, and it was uh, it was amazing how hot it was but but this this 
this other city, Heropolis, was famous for its hot springs. And so these springs were used as a natural spa since the uh, 200 B.C., that far back. But the Romans would come here and they'd find that sitting in, and today it's even uh, talked about this way, that there's healing, healing properties in the minerals at hot, in hot springs. So that if you sit there, you, you can actually, it can actually heal, start healing the body of, of different ailments. So this city was, was, uh, was a place people wanted to go because of the hot springs. Then on the other side of Laodicea, about 10 miles away, was the city of Colossae. And we, just, and we read out of the letter that Paul wrote to that, the church in that city. Guess what Colossae was known for? It's cold water. Yes. It had cold spring water flowing down the mountain. And it was so cold. People would come from everywhere to get this cold water. And so Colossae was known for its cold water coming down out of the mountains, providing refreshment on those hot summer days. And, and, and people would drive miles and miles to come and get that cold water. And so you have Laodicea in the middle. You have Heropolis Hot Springs. Colossae, cold water. Guess what Laodicea had? You ready for this? On the other hand, Laodicea, all they had was aqueducts. Aqueducts that brought water in from about six miles away. The water may have started cold, but as it, as it, as it flowed through the aqueducts, aqueducts, which the Romans built, by the time it, the water arrived in Laodicea, Guess what it tasted like? Lukewarm water. So therefore, Laodicea was known for bad water. And have you ever been to a place that has had bad water? Just go to Philly for a while. Go ahead, I can vouch for them. Um, try, try Philly water. But, but here, Laodicea, if you went to Laodicea, you couldn't find cold water. Basically, when you got a drink, it was lukewarm. And so visitors would come, they'd be given water, and guess what they would do when they drank the first sip? They'd spit it out of their mouth. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is painting a spiritual picture now. But he's using the... uh, the, the, uh, the whole landscape and the culture they live in and, and what they are dealing with uh, in their cities, look back again. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish they were hot or cold. And right away, the Laodicean, when he would hear that from the letter, they would go. So he would rather be like Heropolis or like Colossae. Because they knew that they had the warm, the lukewarm water. 
verse 16. But because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. He's calling them out and saying, Church, you're just like you're just like the water that's flowing in your town, the lukewarm water, but you're lukewarm in your heart. In other words, they had no passion for for Christ. They were lukewarm church. And the reason is what follows. Verse 17. Look at verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow. What Paul, uh, what, what, what Jesus is saying here is speaking of this city who was, it, it was an extremely wealthy city. They, they, they were ex- extremely wealthy. They had the best banking system. So their, their, their city was like, had like the national bank there that people would come and do business with currency exchange that sort of thing it was it was known for multiple things the two major industries in the city was first they produced a rich black wool which they made clothing out of okay so they this rich wool they they made and uh, that, of course, allowed them to dress luxuriously. It was a wealthy town. Laodicea was the Los, the Los Angeles of that day, or New York. It, it, had, it had the money. Secondly, their most popular product was an eye salve that they made. They would make an eye salve for medicinal purposes. So they would use it to treat eye diseases and eye problems. And they, it actually was a home for a medical school there in Laodicea. But these two things. So because of those two products, this church was making money hand over fist. Okay, so trying to understand this. This city, and therefore the church was like, like their culture, the city just out around them, that they were self-sufficient. They basically didn't need God. They, they, weren't, they weren't seeking God. And a luke, they, they became lukewarm because of their wealth and their love for wealth and their self-sufficiency. Oh, I'm, I'm riding high now and the bank account's full. Oh, every, I got everything I need. And so here they are, and they're wrapped up in their wealth and riches. And so they're proud of it. And they're, they, they, they know that the other churches are looking down late to see a man. I wish that I had their money. And Jesus says, you go around saying I'm rich and I become wealthy. And that you have need of nothing. But yet you're really wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You have nothing, he's telling the church. 
Just because you have the material wealth, what has that done? It's corrupted you because you've fallen in love with it and it's made you forget me. And so Jesus is trying to get this across to this church because they have, they have allowed the, 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 the culture, the money, and everything else to become first place in their life. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's go to 1 Timothy 6 together. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Paul wraps up his letter to Timothy. And he speaks of those who are rich. Verse 17. Paul says to Timothy, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. And that's exactly what the Laodicean church was doing. But on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, remind the rich man, don't let that be your God. And so he, he makes it clear. And Jesus Christ wanted this Laodicean church to wake up and realize that the riches, the greatest riches are in him. Turn back now, and we'll close with this in Revelation 3. If you'll go, go back now, look what Jesus then concludes. Let's read verse 18 through 22. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. That speaks of testing, persecution, being willing to go through the fire that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And Jesus says, look what Jesus says, and the eye salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Remember we said that one of the, the great products coming out of that city was eye salve? Jesus mentions it then, brings it into play here. And he talks about, I have a spiritual eye salve for your eyes that will take away your blindness because you're blind by your riches and your wealth and and your culture. Then he speaks of discipline, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Turn from your ways. And then verse 20 through 22. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 20, we, we use that, uh, that verse Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We use it in evangelistic 
circles. You know, if you're giving the gospel, we, we many times will use this. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking and wants to come in, which is good and true. But here he's talking to Christians and he's saying, your door's closed and you've, you've closed your door to me. But just knock, I'm knocking now, and I want you to open your door so that you might know true riches by allowing me to, to come in and, and allow you as my church to be rich spiritually and to have a new reputation where Jesus Christ is glorified. And then verse 21 Here's that overcomes. Remember, we talked about those who were overcomers are the true believers in those churches. So he says, he who overcomes, which is the true believers in Laodicea, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. What does Jesus mean by that? He's going to sit on my throne. Well, actually, he's talking about we who are his children will reign with Christ. When he uses the word throne, he's talking about we one day when Jesus returns to earth, we are going to reign with Christ. How wonderful that's going to be. But I think, you know, this, this basically speaks to my heart. What, what do I take away from this? What personal application can I take away from this church letter? Is that I need to make sure that I don't allow idols in my life. Things, whether it be material things or people or anything else, to become number one in my life. And then Jesus is pushed off to the side. But that he might have the preeminence in my life and what I say and what I do and what I desire. And when we do that, the Lord will give us his blessing and he will be greatly glorified. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord. Lord, for teaching us once again through this letter to this church. Father, help us to watch and be careful that we might not be pulled astray, Father, with the things of this world and allow ourselves to be wrapped up in pride and in riches and the things that this world offers so we begin to think like the world. But, Father, help us to continue to seek the treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt. And we know that those are the true riches. And one day, you will reward us, Lord, for being found faithful in storing up those spiritual riches. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much in this way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.